Hey, this morning, uh, we are not having children's church, but we do have, I'm sorry, we're not having warehouse worship, but there is children's church for our pre-K and kindergartners. You get to go hang out with David and Cindy. I mean, who would not want to, I want to do that. There's snacks. We will not have snacks in here. I'm sorry. Um, this summer, we have been talking about um, living in the light. We've been talking about what it means to live in the light, and specifically live in the light of God's Word. Um, and I think f- for today, it might be helpful to just step back a little bit. We've, we've talked about specific issues. We've talked about specific areas of our life that we need God's Word um, to shed light on. We've talked about those. But I want to take a step back and look at Um, the big picture in Scripture, in all of Scripture. And I want us to think about what does it mean to live in the light and not in darkness. And so I want to start at the beginning and see how that that theme of light and darkness plays out. And then I want to talk about five things that living in the light will require of us as individuals. So let me pray and then we'll jump in, okay? God, we thank you for this morning. God, I pray... That as we look at your word, as we open it, God, may it shed light on our lives. God, and may we see the truth about what is um, really there. God, may we see the truth about who we really are and who we were created to be, who you really are and and how you want a relationship with us. God, may we see that clearly this morning. God, I pray that you would help me to to make it clear and easy to understand. And I pray that um, we would be different from hearing it, God. May we be people who live in the light um, because you have rescued us from the darkness. And so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. From from the very beginning of creation, when God is speaking the world into existence, God made a distinction between that which was good and that which was evil, that which was light and that which was darkness. Um, Everything that is in line with God's character is called light. Everything that is good and true and right is called light. And everything that is not, anything opposed to it, is called darkness, right? Light is all that is good, right, and God-honoring. And darkness is all that is evil and sinful and selfish. See, in this passage, he, he, um, God separates them from each other. I don't know if they were intermingled before this, but we get this picture that God separates the light from the darkness, and he, what he's, he's not teaching us a physics lesson about, about light and darkness and quantum particles and all that stuff. That's not what he's teaching. He's teaching us a spiritual reality, right? That, that where light is, darkness cannot exist. Right? These are two opposite things. He's teaching us about himself. God was teaching us about the spiritual reality that light is all that is good, right, and God-honoring. And darkness is all that is evil, sinful, and selfish. I got to thinking about the, uh, the wonderful winter storm we had um, January, February, the second one, t- the second time it snowed. Do you remember that? Um, and I got to thinking about 
we don't experience that down here, right? And we lost power, not as much as some of you did, so I don't have like this sob story to tell this morning. Um, but that, that experience of losing power, right? Anybody, anybody remember this? Anybody tracking with me? Right, if you lost power for more than a week, just raise your hand. All right, thank you. There we go. I don't have that story this morning. But at some point, when that power has been out, when there's no light you can go turn on, except for you with generators, it gets depressing, right? When, when there's no light to turn on, it, when there's no fridge to go open and eat something, right? When there's no uh, warmth coming out of anything electrical, right? It, living in that darkness was so sad. And, and we're so used to electricity. I know our grandfathers and grandparents would just be scoffing at us right now. Uh, but when you've lived in the light, to go back to darkness is like, wow, this is not good. I don't know, understand why any of us would choose no power over having power, no lights over having lights. But that's what Adam and Eve do in this story. It doesn't take long before darkness is chosen over light. Look at um, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. This is right after Adam and Eve have chosen to reject God's word and to believe Satan's word. And this is what we read in Genesis 3, after they've sinned, verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, reject God, when they sin. They experienced the first taste of darkness on this earth. When they broke this relationship with God in the garden, they chose, what did they do? They went to where? To the shadows, to the darkness, right? They chose to hide from God in the trees. Up till this point, they had walked with him every day. They had talked with him. They had this intimate, close relationship. But as soon as sin enters the picture, what happens? We would rather choose darkness than light, right? And so this is the spiritual truth that we see, that humanity prefers the darkness to the light. Why? So we can hide our sin. In our flesh, in ourself, before we ever know God, we prefer the darkness because we can hide our sin. But God didn't let this be the whole story. This, this theme will play out. But he begins a plan at that point to, to restore us, to, to bring us out of the darkness and into the light, to rescue us. He didn't, he didn't want us to choose the darkness. He didn't want us to choose not to have a relationship with him. It's like choosing not to have power. Right? He, he's like, no, 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 there's something better. There's something so much better for you. And so he starts a salvation plan. And the story goes on and on and on, but we see in Exodus, as God's people have, have rebelled and sinned and have gone into slavery in Egypt, um, that God initiates a rescue plan from there. And as God is leading them out of slavery, in Exodus 13, you can turn there, Exodus 13, as God is leading them out of slavery, we get a picture of God's salvation plan. Look at verse 21. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them 
along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So part of God's rescuing plan, part of God's salvation plan for them is to lead them out of darkness and into light, to lead them out of slavery into freedom, to lead them out of sin into salvation. And the way that they were led out of the darkness was, duh, by the light, right? You don't go out of darkness with more darkness. You go out of darkness with light. And God provided the light himself. He was the way out of the darkness for them. They were being led out of darkness by the light. And we see this play out over and over in Scripture, that the way out of darkness is following the light, which is God himself. This is going to be true throughout the rest of Scripture. God is the way out of darkness because he is light, right? Now, this story plays out over and over, and we're not going to... If Glenn was here, he would say, please don't preach the whole Bible, Byron. But this story plays out over and over and over. But when we get to the New Testament, we realize that, that as much as we have tried to escape darkness through all kinds of ways, through religion, through sacrifice, through all kinds of things, none of them have worked. And the same story that was true of Adam and Eve that experienced darkness and hid is the same story of Israel that experiences darkness and, and tries to hide and is fearful of coming into the light. That same story is true of us. All of humanity's existence, every one of us, is trapped by darkness. We have loved the darkness more than we have loved the light. In our flesh, before we ever knew there was anything better out there, before we ever knew that there was anything good, we assumed that living in the darkness was as good as it gets. We were in the dark, sorry for the pun. Um, about the goodness of God. We didn't know until we were told. And God didn't want this to be the end of the story for us to stay in darkness. He wouldn't allow us to choose darkness instead of relationship with him. And so what he did, he did the unthinkable, just as he had done in Egypt and out of the wilderness. He sent himself, he sent his son to be the way out of darkness. And he eventually takes on darkness so that we can become light. Look at John chapter 3. I told Shane I was going to preach this this morning. He said, you can't preach John 3.16. Yeah, I can. Watch this. Look at John 3.16. We're going to keep going past that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the way of salvation. It takes belief in Jesus, dying on the cross, faith in him that his work is enough to save us. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this is the truth, that Jesus came to the world as light, 
to rescue us from darkness. He came searching for us, just like God had done in the, in the garden, right? He went looking for them. And where did he find them? In the shadows of the trees, in the darkness, hiding. It's the same for us, that Jesus came as light to rescue us. He came searching for us. And the ultimate way that he rescued us was by dying on the cross, right? Think about that. In that moment, when Jesus dies on the cross, there's, there's lots of imagery of light and darkness in there. But what he did on the cross is what he, he took what he had rightfully earned. Who he rightfully was. He was all things that were light and good and perfection and full of righteousness. And he traded that for what was rightfully ours. What was rightfully yours and mine that day was darkness, was evil, was the punishment for our sins. And what Jesus did on the cross is he took on our darkness. He took on our sin and our shame and our pain and all the things that we had done to reject God. And he paid the price for them so that we could be light. It's the great exchange. It doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? Why would he trade such a great thing for such a bad thing? Only because he loved us so much. He came to save us and to give us light. Look at John chapter 12, verse 46. John chapter 12, verse 46. He says it very clearly. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He makes it so clear here, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. God didn't rescue Adam and Eve out of their darkness so they could keep running back to it. He didn't rescue us from sin so that we could keep running back to it. He didn't rescue us out of darkness into light so that we could kind of dabble back and forth. He rescued us so that we may not remain in darkness. That's what it says. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to live in the light. Just like God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, God wants a relationship with you every day to walk and live in the light. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. He doesn't save us so that we can just keep going back to our old ways. He doesn't save us so that we keep going back to who we used to be. No, he saves us to live in the light. Now, what I want to do with our last little bit is look at five things that the New Testament talks about of what it means to live in the light. What is it going to require of us? If, if you have a relationship with God, if you have been saved, if you understand the gospel and believe that, what does it look like in a Christian's life? I just want to look at five things. They're not all five things. It's not the only five things. It's just five things. Five things that living in the light will require of us. Flip over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verses 5 through 10. It says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see so many of these themes we've already talked about, that God is light, there is no darkness in him at all. All right, we see that, that, that light and dark is teaching us about good and evil, about God and us. When we see this separation, right, that, that when, if we say we are walking in the light but we're actually in darkness, we have no fellowship, right? We're separated from God. And what we also see in this verse, and the first thing I want to say, number one, living in the light requires us to be honest about our sin. That's one of the things that living in the light requires of us is to be honest about our sin. In this passage, it's in verse 9, and he says this in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess just means to agree with. It means to, to, to agree about the reality. If I confess to a crime, I agree with you that your accusation is right. If I confess to something, I'm agreeing with you. And so to confess your sin is to agree about sin with God. To agree about the reality of who we are. It's to be honest. That's the first thing that this requires. Living in the light requires us to be honest about our sin. Why do we stay in the darkness? Why are Adam and Eve hiding? Why do we run back to that? In their story, they're, they're staying in the darkness. Why? Because they fear something. What did they fear? They feared being rejected by God, right? They feared um, shame for their sin. They feared um, punishment, right? <laughs> they knew the consequences of what they had chosen, right? And living in the light means confessing that. It means coming out of the darkness and being honest about, yep, I was there. That was me. That's what I did. It requires that. But what this verse teaches us, look at verse 9. This passage teaches us that when we confess, when we're honest about our sin, God is faithful to what? He's faithful to do two things, to forgive us and to cleanse us. God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. It's not as if we're, we're you know, I'm trying to picture my, my kids, uh, Hudson, if he does something wrong, he started the immediately, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? He's learned that, right? Just apologize a bunch of times and maybe it'll be okay, right? But there's also like some hiding that's going on, like some disappearing and maybe dad won't notice, right? And I'm trying to picture that moment I, when Hudson has done something wrong and he knows it. He doesn't want to come out. Why? Because what does he fear from me? Discipline, Right? of some kind, <laughs> not necessarily. But this is not exactly who God is. God is not waiting for him, us to come out of the darkness to confess our sin so that he can lay it on us. If you're in Christ, what he says is, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive and faithful to cleanse. If you don't know Jesus, you've not experienced salvation, yeah, maybe you ought to be afraid because you don't know what's gonna happen. But if you're in Christ, you've experienced salvation, you can be honest about your sin. Why? Because you know that God is faithful to forgive and God is faithful to cleanse us. He's not waiting to throw down the punishment. He's already done that. He did it on Jesus on the cross that day. 
Now, if you're not a Christian here today, the good news of what I'm sharing with you is that living in the light is better than living in the darkness. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's, there's hope. But if you're just living in the darkness, you got no idea how good it is in the light. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the way to the light. Now, Christians, what should mark us as individuals, as Christians? It should not be a perfectionist persona on the outside that we never mess up, right? Of all people in the whole world, we should be the ones who are not afraid to be honest about our shortcomings. Not on Facebook, not publicly from a stage, but with some people, with, with the church, with people that you love and care about, we, we should not be afraid of being honest, right? Because what is waiting for us when we confess? Forgiveness and cleansing, right? So that's the first thing. Living the light requires us to be honest about our sin. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 7. He says, um, starting in verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. He's talking about the sons of disobedience, the, the, those who are of this world. Do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then go down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he begins to talk about different things that God's will is for them, right? Real specific. But here's, here's the truth. Number two, living in the light requires a change of life. Living in the light requires a change of life. Once we experience the freedom of salvation and stepping into the light, then living in the light changes us. We don't stay the same people that we used to be. We don't keep going back to the darkness, to back to who we used to be. No, we are changed. We all of a sudden think about how we use our words differently. We think about how we treat marriage. We think about this. People in the light don't do things the same way as people in the darkness. That's what he says. He says, you are not sons of the darkness. You are sons of the light, children of the light. And so live in the light, right? He says, the fruit of walk as children of light for the verse nine for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true when you seek to follow Jesus when you live in the light your life will be changed God's word will expose you on some things it'll it'll show you ways that you've maybe not had the right attitude or not spoken the right words or not treated that person the way you ought to right it's going to change you if you live in the light and as we follow Jesus he will changes as we confess and repent and move on from things from our past. This is not an immediate change. It's a whole life of changing more and more into the image of God's Son. But it does require a change. And if there's not change in your life, if, if we look the same as the world, are we living in the light? If we treat everything the same as the world, how are we any different? We're called to stay in the light. And God wants to transform us and change us by living in the light. Look at Romans chapter 13, number three. 
Romans chapter 13. He says this, besides uh, verse, starting in verse 11. He says, but beside this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the third thing that living in light will require of us. Living in light requires a choice each and every day and in every moment. We are so prone, because we still live on this earth, to love the darkness instead of the light. We're prone to exchange what is true and good and right with what is easy and comfortable and sinful. But we're called as Christians, as he says, to put on the Lord Jesus It's like the idea of clothing. You're making that choice every day. What are we putting on? What am I going to wear? What am I going to look like? How am I going to treat this situation at work? How am I going to talk to this friend that doesn't like me? We're choosing in every moment to live in the light. And what he says is the opposite of living in the light is making provision for the flesh. It's in verse 14. Or gratifying its desires. You see, the, the, (laughs) the world of darkness especially in our modern day, is this. If you feel it, it's good, do it. If you have a feeling or a desire, follow it. It must be good, right? But what does God say? He says that our flesh and our hearts, our feelings can't be trusted. We should follow God's word. We should submit to God's word, right? And so what what it takes is each and every day is choosing that I'm gonna live in the light, because that's what we believe is best. If you really believe God's word, you'll believe that he knows best and he made all and so we should submit to him. Just because I have a feeling, just because I have a desire doesn't mean that that's what's best. He tells us what is best. This is not popular. (laughs) This is not always easy, but it is good. Living in the light is good and is what is best for you. That's number three, living a lot requires a choice each and every day and in every moment. Last passage of scripture, look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Starting in verse 4. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you, all, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Two truths from this passage, and there's a lot we could look at, but number four, living in the light requires an eternal perspective. Living in the light requires an eternal perspective. Verse four through 10 is all about what is coming. He's saying, be awake, 
be aware of what's to come. And we really believe that one day, because we are in Jesus, we will have eternal life with him forever. Eternal. Not 80 years, not 90 years, an eternity. We need an eternal perspective. Because what's easy on this earth, if, if, if our focus is only on right here and right now, what's right in front of us, the easy choice is to choose darkness. It's what's easy. It's what is, it's attractive in this world, is to choose to live the way of this world. If we're only focused on right here and what I can get in my 80 years here on this earth. But if what we believe to be true about God and what we believe to be true about us and about eternity really is true, then living for what's right in front of you is the most short-sighted thing you could ever do. You've missed the point. This short moment you get here on earth, this 20 years, 40 years, 80 years is a breath. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like the, the flowers that are popping up one day and they're gone the next. In the, in the scope of human history, in the scope of eternity, that choice is so small. He says, you must have an eternal perspective if you're going to live in the light. And then lastly, maybe the most practical of them all, verse number five, living in the light requires community. Living in the light requires community. And by community, I don't mean the community of Huntington. I don't mean, you know, living in a small town. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I mean is spiritual friendship, is spiritual accountability, is brothers and sisters who are encouraging and building up. That's what he says in verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And, and he, he says that, why? Because we are so prone when we're isolated, when we're by ourselves to get lost, to go into the darkness. Why? Because there's no accountability. Because there's no one checking on me. There's no one taking care of me. There's no one, right? And we live in a day where it's really popular to say that, that I don't need to go to church. I don't need to belong to the church. Because I, because I, can, I can listen to this podcast because I can, I, can, I can see Jesus in creation on the lake. Because I can, I can, I can do this on my own. And while, while those things are certainly partially true, that is a lie from the enemy. You cannot live in the light by yourself. Jesus established the church to be about encouraging and building one another up and being on mission together. You cannot do it by yourself because you're isolated and you're alone and you will veer into darkness. See, you need to belong to a community, not just attend an event. You need, there's a big difference between just showing up and getting counted and showing up to encourage, showing up to be encouraged. There's a big difference between just kind of talking about your week and the weather and sharing what's going on in your life. There's a big difference between going to a group and belonging to a group. We were meant to belong. We were meant to share life. We were meant to help one another and encourage one another because we are prone to love the darkness rather than the light. And that's, man, that's what we aspire here at, in our groups, right? In our life groups and in D groups and in support groups like Most Excellent Way and all the other groups we have to, to be that, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to help, help us each live in the light. That's the point. 
This makes me think of last summer. We, we, were, uh, we were remodeling the community outreach center during COVID. No one was up here. It was just me and my dad. And uh, we, one day we had torn out everything and we were, uh, we were spraying the walls with paint. And most of the building at that point didn't have any lights. And so we, we got to spraying. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love a spray gun, painting walls. Much better than rolling. And uh, I got done spraying it all, like patting myself on the back. Like, man, this looks good. It's clean, sharp. And about uh, two weeks later, Vincent Smith came in, our electrician, and uh, he turned on the lights. And uh, what I realized was I'm not as good a painter as I thought I was. Why? There's a lot of streaks. There's some walls I totally missed. Uh, There's some places that got no paint on them at all. And there's some places that it's about this thick. See, we need the light. We need the light of community to show us where we fall short, to help us where we're weak, to encourage us when we're discouraged. And when Vincent turned on the lights, the truth was there. There was no hiding from it. No, I needed to repaint. That was the truth. And living in the light will require community. You can't do it by yourself. That's what we need. We need the truth so that we can live in the light in a God-honoring and Christ-exalting way. Let me pray for us. God, uh, I pray this morning that you would help us to live in the light, to choose it each and every day. God, I pray that we would believe that living in the light is what is best for us. I pray that we would, we would not try to do this by ourselves. Uh, we would not try to live this out on our own, God, but that we would live in community. God, we'd live with an eternal perspective. We'd, we'd make that choice every day to put on Christ. God, and I pray that, that our church, each one of us, would live in the light, God, with you, in relationship with you, like we were intended from the very beginning, God. God, be with us, be with the needs, be with the the people that are discouraged and empty. God, I pray that you would fill them up. God, use our body to do that. God, I pray for those who are struggling with health issues. I pray that you you would deliver them from that, God. And I pray that, above all, we would glorify you in all that we do. We love you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.